Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm David. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're continuing our horror rom-com series with a vampire comedy that, honestly, kind of bites. We'll talk about our favorite vampire movies and look at how this week's movie intersects with the teen movie genre and particularly movies about teens trying to lose their virginity. And we'll discuss the many things that aged very poorly and one actress who has aged very gracefully from one of Jim Carrey's earliest films, 1985's Once Bitten. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be doing some more um, horror rom-coms. I know last year you didn't really join us for the horror rom-coms because horror is not really your thing. But are you excited to be here for this year's? (laughs) Well, um, this one, Wowzers. What a treat. (laughs) Lots to say about this one. Well, it didn't scare me. Let's put it that way. And that's why you're here with us, I assume. Yes, yes. I'm very excited for Halloween season again. Last year, we did Little Monsters with Lupita Nyong'o. We did Warm Bodies and we did Happy Death Day. And yeah, this year, you will have probably already heard our Happy Death Day to You episode. And we'll also have The Love Witch coming up. So we've got some treats for you. And today we've got another treat. We're really excited to welcome another guest this week at Every Rom-Com. David Rosen of the Piecing It Together podcast. I met David on Twitter through his podcast work, and I've been entertained and kind of awed, honestly, by the way he and his guests at Piecing It Together are able to find potential connections to older movies in newer movies. But David has also got a lot more going on in his life beyond Piecing It Together. In addition to being a podcast host and a producer for podcasts, including Awesome Movie Year, David is also a professional musician who has composed scores for film, TV, and commercials. And he's created albums of instrumental music as well, including his upcoming sixth full-length album, More Content. So David, we're really happy to have you. Welcome to Every Rom-Com. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, This is going to be a a fun conversation, even if it's a weird movie. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I think the weird movies make the best conversations, actually. So I'm excited. So we're going to talk about the range of your work in a moment, David, but I got to know you on Twitter, like I said, through Piecing It Together podcast. And to quote the introduction to the podcast, it's, quote, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. So my question for you is kind of twofold. Like, how did you get into movies? And also, how did you like come upon this concept for your movie podcast? I feel like it's a very interesting take on a movie podcast. Well, thank you, first of all, because that's exactly what I was going for when I kind of came up with it is to kind of just approach movies in a different way. And I've always loved movies, you know, ever since I was a kid and, and growing up and like really starting to fall in love with them in my 20s. But like, I found like, in the year or two or three before starting this podcast, I, I kept 
kind of thinking of movies in terms of like this meets this meets this. And I was trying to kind of form that into uh, a format, you know, something where it wouldn't just simply be reviewing a movie because there's already a lot of great movie podcasts out there. And uh, I've guessed it on a lot of them and, and I uh, am going to be talking on one today. And like there, there's many, many great movie podcasts that, you know, just talk about a movie, but I wanted to kind of have like my own little thing. And I felt like that was something that hadn't really quite been done before. Maybe sometimes in passing, uh, somebody yeah. would talk about influences or inspirations, mm-hmm. but not like building the whole show around it. And so that was kind of the uh, direction I ended up taking it. And then I'm also a big fan of puzzles and puzzle games and stuff like that. And so I kind of like all themed it together with that at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is kind of like a puzzle. And yeah, when I said in the intro that I'm kind of intimidated by the concept of going on your show, like I really am, because I don't know if I conceptualize movies that way. And I find it just like Mm. so impressive. Like, I will notice things, but my but that's not the first thing my eye goes to in a movie. So it's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's it's just a fun way to incorporate other movies that you love. Like, even if you're like watching this this new big release that just came out, and and then we're gonna talk about that. Like, maybe you don't have quite as much to say about the new movie. It hasn't like sat in your mind for years or even decades, you know. But it reminded you of something from this movie that you've watched a hundred times, and you want to talk about that. <laughs> it, it just it's almost like the the tangents are the point in a way. I like that. I like that. The tangents are the point. (laughs) I love it. No, I love, I love puzzles too. So the whole concept puzzles and film together and really enjoyed your podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. So then like in addition to your podcast work, you're a professional musician and composer. And I don't think we've had a professional musician and composer on the show yet. I I looked and you had like 45 composer credits on IMDb. And I don't even really think that covers like, you know, the breadth of your work, but that was just for things like, you know, movies and TV shows and so forth. And I've already done a little bit of research on your background and like looked into your music career, but, but could you kind of tell the audience like how you got into music and specifically then how you got into composing music for film and TV and commercials and so forth? Yeah, for sure. I mean, instrumental music has always been like just kind of the direction I wanted to kind of take my, my path when, when getting into music, like the, the idea of joining a band was never really something that was like appealing to me. It was just to, to sit in a room and make music that goes with something that that's what I always wanted to do. And so film scoring was like kind of the natural way to go. And I've always loved, you know, so many film scores, whether it be, you know, big, giant action epic scores or even rom-coms like (laughs) you know what we talk about on this show you know just all kinds of music and uh, I was also a big video game player you know when I was younger and so that that kind of music also inspired me and then it's also a place where you can kind of uh, combine all of your uh, favorites into you know you kind of synthesize it into what your own sound is and so I take uh, from you know, bands and artists that I like as well. And I could just play with all different kinds of sounds and there's really no set rules. There's no set genre. You're not like a punk band or you're not a rock band or Mm. you're not a rapper or like, you know, you're not any one individual thing and you could just sit there and make music. And uh, yeah, my IMDb credits are kind of ridiculous. There's just so many (laughs) on there. I've worked on a lot of films, uh, short films, commercials, TV, feature films, uh, all kinds of stuff. And 
Uh, this uh, upcoming album, More Content, is my sixth full-length album, but I also have put out film scores that I've worked on as like soundtrack releases, as well as compilations and worked with artists. So all different kinds of music projects. Are there like a couple of your projects, like a piece of music, an album, or like a score that like you're the most proud of that you always send people to? It's really hard to pick because there's like a big variety of stuff. Like I'm, I'm so proud of my albums. Um, in, in 2020, I put out a self-titled album called David Rosen, just, you know, my name. And, um, I, I, that's probably my favorite of my albums. Although this new one that's coming out might be my new favorite, but, uh, I, I, it's, there's so much, uh, so much cool stuff on there that really, it gets to, everything that I've been like kind of trying to do as a musician over all these years, you know? And so I'm very proud of that. And then like in the film world, it's also kind of tough to pick. Like there's this one short film that I always point out called croak. Um, that is like a really over the top, ridiculous, uh, like eighties inspired horror movie, (laughs) uh, about these frogs that get mutated and kill their, their owner. And, uh, it's uh, it's so ridiculous and super gory and uh, great creature effects and stuff like that. And I got to go like full John Carpenter with the score. And so it was like it was super fun to work on. And, and it's definitely one of the most fun things I got to do. Oh, nice. I might have to try to seek that out. That sounds yeah. like the kind of thing I watch around Halloween. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> And so I looked at, I was looking at your reel, your composer's reel, and I was just, or listening to it rather. And it seems like a lot of the music you've composed has been for things like action or horror or kind of drama. Have you ever scored a romantic comedy? I actually did just recently. I mean, it's just like a three minute short. I don't know why, but like, even though I'm like, generally speaking, a very cheerful, goofy guy, like all my music does tend to uh, lean into the darkness and like very, very uh, either horror or drama, like you said, or action. And uh, I, I do tend to kind of just work in that vein most of the time. And I'm not against it, though. I, I'd love to do a romantic comedy sometime, maybe even a full feature romantic comedy. Uh, but yeah, like, it's just where I'm the most comfortable when I like sit down at my keyboard or with my guitar and start like figuring out melodies and things like that. Everything just leans into the dark stuff. Interesting. Well, it's good. We have you here for the horror section then. Yes. <laughs> Although this movie has a very tenuous connection to horror as we will discuss shortly. <laughs> yeah. Fair. <laughs> and since we're a romantic comedy podcast, we also always do ask our co-hosts, our guest hosts, how do you feel about the romantic comedy genre? Do you have any favorite romantic comedies? I mean, first of all, like, you know, it's it's a genre like any movie genre. I mean, I think anybody who calls himself a movie fan should have favorites in every genre. Like they're they're all uh, valuable and there's lots of great romantic comedies over the year. Uh, One of my favorites like that I've discovered recently, it's not a newer movie, but uh, Down With Love is Hmm. so good. Um, I I just watched it for awesome movie year, actually, uh, just a couple of years ago. And what what a great movie, you know, it's it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, there, there's lots of great romantic comedies. Um, we just had Palm Springs uh, a couple of years ago. That was great. It's it's a great genre like anything. Cool, cool. Well, I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that, that you're a, you, you're a fan of well, maybe not a fan in particular, but a fan in general of all genres and a yeah. friend of the romantic comedy. And yeah, Down With Love was a really interesting kind of like kind of a send up, I think, even of like those um, Rock Hudson and Doris Day kind of movies mm-hmm. in a way. But, yep, yeah, yep. But yeah, in a really interesting way. 
Yeah. So we will have this information in the show notes, but David, where would you like to direct people to find your work? Yeah, well, they could find Piecing It Together uh, on all the major podcast apps and at piecingpod.com. And I'm also on Twitter at piecingpod. And my music is on uh, bydavidrosen.com. And you can also find Twitter at bydavidrosen. And of course, all of my albums are under my name, David Rosen, on uh, all the streaming services and iTunes and all that stuff. Very good. I, well, I hope people will check your work out, um, both your podcast and your music. Like we're fans, we, we've enjoyed it. So check it out. Give it a listen, both of them. So before we get started today, just a few notes. First, as usual, there will be a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the podcast, and we'll warn you when the spoiler section starts. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at everyromcom, and our Twitter handle is at everyromcompod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's listen to the trailer for Once Bitten. Beautiful lady vampire Lauren Hutton knows a delicious young virgin when she sees one. And Mark Kendall finds out his sexy one-night stand has been around for centuries. Mark Kendall's a regular guy. Get me out of here! With normal problems. I want to, but I want it to be special. But Mark's just discovered... Hello, tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> ...that his one-night stand... I haven't had anything this pure since the Vienna Boys Choir hit town. ...has been around for centuries. I'm 390 years old. 400 if you're a dick. Mark Kendall is necking... Finally happened. ...with a vampire. Did I enjoy it? <laughs> now, Ow. he's losing his what? girl. Get my lip. His customers... Get out of here! ...his image... Look, I'm not there! ...and his mind... Oh, wow, I love your outfits. I'm not wearing a costume. Mark's got to choose. It's like you're not the Mark I thought I knew. You look like Jerry Lewis. Between his first love... I'm the owner of the pants you've been trying to get into for the last four years. ...and his last date. How would you like to spend eternity with me? I can't. I gotta go to college. Before his future goes up in smoke. How'd you like your crotch set on fire? Ooh, rough trade. Nothing is sacred <laughs> in a tasty comedy. Can I have one of those uncooked ones? You can sink your teeth into. How was it? Delicious. Once bitten. Once bitten. I don't want to be a vampire. I'm a day person. <laughs> can I jump in immediately, guys? Yes. Um, yes. I, I love that the trailer already is icky. I mean, uh, <laughs> Lauren Hutton knows a delicious young virgin when she sees one. That was in a movie trailer in 1985 or whatever. Yeah. That's insane. Oh, man. I actually think that this trailer is just such an injection of pure 1980s that it's it just makes it would make me want to see this movie because it's pure 1980s, like icky or not. Like, I mean, it's just got all of it. You know what I mean? Like the cheesiness, the corniness. And it's so much better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is though it's better than the movie it's got some of jim carrey's best moments and like you know yeah. it's, even in a bad script jim carrey will have his moments right sure. and yeah it's got energy i don't know yeah sophia any thoughts on this trailer 
it just it sets the tone just right for the rest of the film. Yep. And and it's got the pop song, the rock song named after the movie in it, which, you know, is fantastic and also an 80s trademark. So, yeah. Yeah. Probably the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about we'll, we can talk about the the music later, especially since you're a musician. That'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. OK, so Once Bitten came out on November 15th, 1985. Again, after Halloween, it's interesting. A lot of these movies we've been covering lately are coming out at suboptimal times of year. Like Groundhog Day came out after Groundhog Day, too. So I don't get that. It's directed by Howard Storm. The story is by Dimitri Villard. And the screenplay is by David Hines, Jeffrey House, and Jonathan Roberts. And it stars Jim Carrey, Lauren Hutton, Karen Copens, and Cleavon Little. I'm guessing on the pronunciation of Karen Copens, by the way, I could not find a source for how to pronounce her name. So hopefully it's right. Sounds good. So the premise of the film is about this countess who is a 400 year old vampire and she needs to drink the blood of a young virgin man three times before Halloween, which is in 10 days away. So she is living in Los Angeles in the 80s, and she has found that it's difficult to find a young virgin man. Meanwhile, Mark Kendall is a virgin, and he's been unsuccessful in convincing his girlfriend Robin to have sex with him. Desperate to gain sexual experience, Mark goes out to a Hollywood bar with his friends where he encounters the Countess, and she takes him home to drink his blood. Mark begins to change into a vampire, and the Countess continues to pursue him. Will Mark escape the Countess's clutches or join her vampire family? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so there, there, weren't, I, there isn't a lot of information that I was able to find about this movie. Like, I don't know if there was a DVD release with commentary, but I did not have that if there was. But here are the few interesting facts I was able to garner. So first of all, some casting information. One of the writers of Once Bitten, Jeffrey House, really wanted Michael J. Fox for the lead role of Mark Kendall, but the producer was not sure Fox would be able to carry the movie. Um, This is kind of ironic because the same year, Fox appeared in both Teen Wolf and Back to the Future and, you know, obviously became the big star that he became. Producer Samuel Golden Jr. asked Jim Carrey to read for the part after seeing his stand-up act. And... This is a little timbit from Jim Carrey about director Howard Storm from a 1985 article. He said, quote, he was pretty open to me fiddling about. Plus, he's a total freako. <laughs> that's, that's one of the only contemporaneous quotes I could find about, uh, you know, Jim Carrey from that making that movie. So there you go. Uh, the writers had also envisioned for casting. The writers had envisioned Elvira in the part of the, the Countess, which I think would have actually been really interesting to yeah. have like, more of a straight horror take on this whole thing elvira would be great for this i mean she she's so so cool and uh it would it would bring such a camp to it yes i think it would have added a lot more camp as well and but she is incredible so that that just would have been an interesting i think a completely different film yeah definitely Mm -hmm. a different film and i think more of the film the writers had actually envisioned too yeah, and the director the director also had a different choice than Lauren Hutton. He wanted to get Morgan Fairchild instead, which, like, honestly, I think unless you grew up in the 80s, you probably don't even know anything about Morgan Fairchild. I barely remember her. But, yeah, sort of a rival, blonde, beautiful actress of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as to the writers and their whole Elvira thing, 
Um, it's not really surprising they wanted her because the original title the writers chose for the film was Nightlife and the script was darker in tone. Mm. And screenwriter Jeffrey House had a lot to tell Mental Floss about the making of the film. He said, quote, I'm grateful and proud that the film was made and feel lucky to have worked with a true comedic genius like Jim Carrey. I just have an idea of what it could have been. Teens invading a vampire movie instead of what it became. Vampires invading a teen movie. What I get the picture is that they had made more of a horror movie and they changed it into this like teenage sex romp kind of movie instead. Yeah. Okay. So, and then according to Wikipedia, the movie had a budget of 3.2 million and made 10 million at the box office. So I guess it wasn't considered a failure, but that, that isn't really a huge gross either, but it did okay, I guess, especially since they released it like after Halloween. After. <laughs> That's surprisingly successful, actually. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not a huge take, but like it's better than I would have expected. Yeah. And I guess Jim Carrey wasn't really a star at the time either. I guess Lauren Hutton had done like American Gigolo. So mm-hmm. she could have been somewhat of a draw. And Cleavon Little, I mean, he'd done Blazing Saddles, but he was in a supporting role. So I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe they're just like teens, sex, vampires. And people were like, sure, I'll see it. I don't think that genre has died, so it just keeps getting <laughs> pumped out. So let's um let's go. I want to go right ahead to talk about our general opinion a little bit so we can release some of the steam that's been building up around talking about this movie. So I think, Sophia, you're another one who's seen the movie before doing it for the podcast, right? You so know, I'll let I, you go ahead. Yeah, I can't remember if... I had seen it before. It was very familiar. So one of two things, either it was a preview for something else I watched repeatedly, or I just remember like the box at the video store and was always just looking at it or something. But I asked my brother if we'd ever watched it together. He was my, my, he's my film buddy. And when we were younger, uh, and he said, no, he had never seen oh, it. Okay. So never mind. I thought you had seen it before. So tell your opinion of the movie when you did see it, <laughs> which was like in the past week or two. Um, it was really hard to watch. <laughs> I always intend to like sit down and watch my film and get into it. But like I had, I was, was interrupted and I had to shut it off and I was glad for the interruption. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I can stomach this. Um, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. So bad. <laughs> David, did you have a similar experience? Because I believe this was also your first time with this movie. Yeah, I don't know how I never watched it before, considering how much I loved Jim Carrey when I was younger and like also loved movies like this when I was younger. And Uh I I feel like I probably would have liked it a lot better if I watched it when I was 12 for the first time. But Uh uh, yeah, it's really stupid. But um, (laughs) I I didn't hate it, though. Like there's a few good laughs in it. And, uh, you know, I feel like Jim Carrey is like, you know, it's one of his first roles and he has a fully formed star already in it. Mm. And it, it's pretty impressive to see, but uh, it, it just would have been so much better if like it was funnier, like if the jokes actually landed, you know, sure. but yeah. it's got its moments though. I, I have to agree. It felt really slow. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is the, this pacing is just painful. Um, I, th- I, I think there are maybe two or three lines that I got a kick out of genuinely got a kick out of and laughed out loud. So, yeah. So my story with this movie, this is my story with this movie is that I remembered this movie as being good. 
Okay. I watched this movie many, many times when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. This was on like, let's see, it came out in 85. So I would have been like, what, eight when it came out. And then it was probably on Uh TV by the time I was like nine or 10. And I just remember watching it on TV because it would show up on one of those like little, you know, late night movie things. Right. Watch this movie over and over again. I'm sure it was in the background so many times. And I had these like memories of this movie, like certain images and certain scenes. Like there's a dance off scene later that we'll talk about and like the coffins and like Lauren Hutton as the countess. Like I just had all these memories and I thought, yeah, well, Jim Carrey's in it. And this will be a really good one to cover for our horror rom-coms because I remembered the general shape of the movie. And then when I rewatched it and I was so excited to show it to my husband, Lee, I just kept saying, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I remember this movie being good. (laughs) He stuck, he stuck through it with me though. He stuck through the whole movie with me. And I have now watched this movie three times as a fully grown adult. Um, And I don't know if it's Stockholm syndrome, but like there are things I'm starting to appreciate about it more. Like David said, I don't think it's wholly awful, but I do actually think it's the worst movie we've covered on the podcast so far. Yes. Um, Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm honored, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, David. Welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't invite you to the worst movie on purpose. I seem to recall like shooting out a couple ideas at you and you're like, and you picked this one. And I was like, all I right. Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> so we did not do it to you on purpose. And at that point, I still had my nostalgic memories of being like a nine or 10 year old watching this film. And God knows what it did to my brain at the time. Okay, I, I have a question for you. What did you glean in three viewings like that you couldn't? Did you glean anything different? Yeah, I mean, I was just like kind of watching more individual performances and stuff like that. So like Jim Carrey, like I agree with David that he already had like this. I don't know if he was fully formed star yet. I don't think he was being allowed to like really let loose a lot of what he could do. But you Uh really do see his physical humor come out in this movie. You see his, you know, his faces and his body movements and like. And yeah. just like his presence is really good throughout the movie. Karen Copens is actually the the girlfriend character is actually really good too. I thought um, Cleavon Little's doing what he can. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. like the script is just atrocious and maybe it wasn't even the screenwriter's fault. Maybe it just got changed on them by the producers. Mm. I don't know. It sounds like there might be a little, um, little sadness there with the screenwriters. Anyway. So we will then get into the cast and crew of this movie. We are not going to cover Jim Carrey on this episode. And that is because I want to cover Jim Carrey when we cover Yes Man, hopefully early next year. Um, I want Jim Carrey's uh, credits to be on a, a movie that we, he can be more proud of. So, <laughs> but, but yes, obviously Jim Carrey is a huge part of this movie, but we're going to cover the other people that we might not get a chance to cover later. And we'll start off with Lauren Hutton, who plays the Countess. And I was really excited, actually, when I learned more about Lauren Hutton. I had no idea she was such an interesting person. She was born in 1943, and she began working as a model in the 1960s. And she began working as a model because she wanted money to travel. Like, it was a very practical decision on her part. And she had a big breakthrough as a model when she signed a contract with Revlon at 30 years old in 1973. And at the time, it was the largest amount of money ever paid to a model. So she was huge. She was on the cover of Vogue, like, I think it was like 25 times or something like that. She was a yeah, huge model. I read that. Yeah. Wow. And at 30, that's mm-hmm. ancient for models back in the day. Impressive yeah. as already. 
Yeah, and then Hutton also decided to try acting as well as modeling, and her first role was in the film Paper Lion in 1968. And then in the 70s, she started movies that you probably haven't heard of, but had like pretty good casts. She was in Little Faust and Big Halsey with Robert Redford. She was in The Gambler with James Caan and Paul Servino. And she was also in a movie called Gator with Burt Reynolds. So, <laughs> which, which looked about like what it sounds like. If you, <laughs> anyway. Um, but perhaps her best known movie role was opposite Richard Gere in 1980s American Gigolo. And really actually watching American Gigolo is the best thing that came out of researching this movie. And I'll talk about that much later in our double feature recommendations because I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah. Other 80s roles she had before Once Bitten included the Tom Selleck movie Lassiter and a role in the TV series Paper Dolls. Okay. So again, Sophia, you were saying she was a little bit old as a model. Uh-huh. So Revlon actually ended her modeling contract in 1983 after 10 years when she turned 40, saying she was now too old to effectively sell their products. But Hutton, like remarkably, like did not give up modeling. So there's this really interesting May 2022 issue of Bizarre Magazine where she writes an article and she said, quote, in my mid 40s, I decided to go back into modeling because I was making one bad movie after another. I couldn't stand watching them. So I then started shooting with Stephen Mizell, and I told him, I'm not going to try and look younger. And he said, I love that. That's why I'm working with you. And Lauren Hutton continues to model to this day, like including in that May 2022 issue of Bizarre. I'm going to link that in the show notes. And I really encourage you to like check out that link if you want to see an example of a woman who is unafraid to look older, to have her wrinkles showing, but still looks beautiful. Because I was like, I was actually super inspired by it. Absolutely. And and, um, Hutton continued to act as well after sort of mostly quitting acting. Um, Some of her notable roles since Once Bitten included the TV movie Time Stalkers, a recurring role on Falcon Crest, supporting roles in My Father the Hero and Just a Little Harmless Sex, a recurring role on Nip Tuck in 2007, and most recently a supporting role in I Feel Pretty in 2018. And she also somehow hosted a talk show from 1995 to 1996. And like I said, like she's aged really gracefully and contrary to her character of the youth obsessed countess in Once Bitten, in the article for Bizarre, Hutton wrote, I don't spend a lot of time on skincare. I'm usually in a rush to get to bed and make love or read. So (laughs) I I like her attitude. Yeah. And she has like apparently done, you know, she's not immune to the pressures of aging, you know, as a model and an actress. Apparently she has done some Botox and she uses some skin products, but like in general, she's like avoided things like plastic surgery. She told Arena Magazine in spring 1991, we have to be able to grow up. Our wrinkles are our medals of the passage of life. They are what we've been through and who we want to be. I don't think I will ever cut my face because once I cut it, I'll never know where I've been. So, yeah, I just I really admire her. She seems like a really intelligent person, very well-traveled person, and she's just really gone for it throughout her life. So I was privileged to learn a little bit about Lauren Hutton while researching this movie. Rad. I dig it. Next, we have Karen Copens, who plays Robin. Karen Copens had a short film career. She worked as a model and actress through the 80s and into the early 90s. She won the Miss Connecticut pageant in 1977 and after graduating college, moved to California to act. Her first IMDb credit is a guest spot on The Fall Guy 
I just like saying that. And uh, she also made appearances on a host of other popular 80s shows, including TJ Hooker, Knight Rider, The Love Boat, Amazing Stories, The A-Team, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, and Full House. Doesn't it just give you a shiver of 80s enjoyment just hearing all those titles together? It sure does. (laughs) I like love every one of those. (laughs) It's a great list. She also had a reoccurring role on Dallas from 1988 to 1989. In addition to Once Bitten, she also appeared in the dance film Fast Forward, also in 1985, the action movie Jake Speed in 1986, and the comedy Troop Beverly Hills in 1989. In the 90s, Copens appeared on Designing Women and played Veronica Lodge in a TV movie called Archie to Riverdale and back again. Her last IMDb credit was for a rather lurid-looking drama thriller called Lady in Waiting. In addition to her acting work, Copens has appeared in 250 commercials. In 1990, she married her high school sweetheart, and they remain married and have four children together. So next up is Cleavon Little, who played Sebastian. Uh, That's the Countess's vampire butler, chauffeur, (laughs) and perhaps friend here in Once Bitten. Uh, He's best known, of course, for playing the lead role of Sheriff Bart in Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles, which he'll always be remembered for, uh, even if some of these other movies didn't reach those heights. But uh, Little also appeared in many other movies and TV shows, as well as in theater. He began his career in the theater uh, in the late 60s and worked in theater throughout his life. Highlights included winning a Tony for Best Actor for the musical Pearly in 1970, and starring in the Tony Award-winning play Rappaport with Judd Hirsch in 1986. In the 70s, in addition to his starring role in Blazing Saddles, Little also appeared in Cotton Comes to Harlem, played a major role in the cult film Vanishing Point, and appeared in the films Greased Lightning and FM, and also had a starring role on the TV show The New Temperatures Rising. In the 80s, in addition to Once Bitten, Little appeared in projects including the movies High Risk, The Salamander, Toy Soldiers, and Fletch Lives, and also appeared in a variety of TV shows and miniseries. Some of Little's appearances in the 90s included the movie Murder by Numbers and the TV series Baghdad Cafe and True Colors, and then Little died of colon cancer in 1992 at the age of 53. Yeah, I was really sad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's capable of doing so much. Like when you watch Blazing Saddles and when you hear Mel Brooks talk about his performance in Blazing Saddles, like he really like like Mel Brooks thought you would need like a stand up comic to do that role, but he came into it as a serious theater actor and just like tore it up. He just did tore so well. Yeah. You know, I have to say, as I was watching this fairly dreadful film you know the camera lingered on him for a long time and i was okay with that i'm like look at the way he moves like he had intention you know and for such a terrible script and blah 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 all the negative stuff i could say i i thought what he did with it he was committed and it was and it showed and it was good yeah yeah All right. So let's see. I'm just going to give you quickly some brief notes on the crew, too, just so you can know who is responsible for this movie. (laughs) So (laughs) it was directed by Howard Storm, who this is his only feature film. He directed a lot of TV, though, including Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley and Head of the Class. And I I really I can kind of see that this was directed by a TV director. It tracks, you know. 
And then the writers, um, again, Dimitri Villard did the story. His work was primi primarily as a producer, but he also wrote the story for In Love and War, which I think was that like Hemingway story, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, um, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then Heinz and House only have one other feature writing credit, which is a 2003 movie called Bachelor Man. I watched the trailer for Bachelor Man, and it really doesn't look like their, their maturity and their writing has grown a lot since 1985 based on that trailer. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Roberts, though, on the other hand, I'm almost wondering if he was brought in as a script doctor or something, because he also co-wrote another 1985 film, The Sure Thing, and he's gone on to a fairly like diverse screen screenwriting career. He was one of the co-writers, for example, on Disney films, including The Lion King. So I don't huh. know. I don't know what all was going on with this writing team, but they definitely took slightly different paths. That's a really great theory, Jen. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a theory. It's just a theory. And, you know, also, I don't want to put too much shade on these writers because it does sound like the producer had a lot to do with how things went, too. So, yeah. Okay, so I want to get on to, before we do the movie itself, just the topic of vampire movies in general. And I want to ask yeah. you both, are you a fan of vampire movies? Do you have any favorite vampire movies? I always really loved uh, Shadow of the Vampire mm. with um, Willem Dafoe. I, I think that is maybe my favorite movie within like the subgenre of vampire movies. Um, I'm also going to bring up Dracula Dead and Loving It later, which uh, <laughs> I, I do love and I know most people think it's terrible, but uh, I, I think it's great. There's a lot of really good vampire movies over the years, but like I, I feel like I've only seen each of them like maybe like the one time, like, you know, just out of curiosity. And I never like kind of go back to them. Uh, okay. Dracula's and things like that. So not a preferred genre, not something that sparks your imagination per se. Yeah, not something that like I'm very big into or anything. And Soph, how about you? Well, you know, I don't like scary to begin with, but I have seen, I feel like I've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula a few times, several times, and it's fantastic. I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. I can't watch the show because it scares me. Yep, it does. <laughs> don't judge. What else? I was in a bad place and I was really into Twilight. <laughs> hey, no apologies. I've read all the books and I've seen all the movies. Like I came upon yeah. them because they were left in an apartment in Korea that I was living in. But then I, oh. I, I am the one who chose to continue reading them and continue watching yeah. the movies. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, you know, what's really interesting though. My mom is terrified of vampire stories, like of all the, you know, werewolves and mummies or whatever. She's like, oh no, vampires scare me. And I'm like, interesting. I find that fantastic. Well, well, I am I'm fascinated by vampires personally. Like I I am definitely a vampire movie fan. You said you like Bram Stoker's Dracula. I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know you super, do. Yeah, yeah, I'm a super fan of that oh. movie. It's like one of the anniversaries of Bram Stoker's Dracula coming up, and we're going to go see it in the theater for a fandom Ooh. events thing. Um, so I love that movie. I love Interview with the Vampire. Yes. I love. Well, I love the books more, but I love the movie too. I, yeah. yeah, I'm a big vampire movie fan. I will pretty much watch any movie with a vampire in it. Um, I don't think Once Bitten really had much to do with that, formatively speaking, but who knows? Right. Who knows? But yeah, Once Bitten, interestingly, though, I don't know if I would even call it so much a vampire movie. Would you guys put this as a vampire movie or a teen movie more if you had to put it in one slot? I, yeah, I guess it would be more of a teen movie. Like mm -hmm. if you if you had to pick one or the other. I mean, it's certainly both. But if you had to pick one, I think teen would be the place to put it. Yeah, same teen movie. 
Yeah, I'm going to say teen movie too, although like I'm going to cheat on my own question here. And I'm going to say that like tonally, I would put it as a teen movie. Story-wise, I would still put it as a vampire movie, but it does have uh-huh. like, like there, but there are scenes that have nothing to do with the vampire plot, which is like very strange. The screenplay feels like it's pulling in two different directions in a lot of yeah, ways. For yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we'll get into the movie now. So the intro to the film is of the Countess's world and her house, and it's uh, Sebastian preparing the house for her and um, her special drink. The introduction to her main problem uh, is through Sebastian, where he says, virgin blood isn't easy to come by these days, Countess. And the Countess says, being a vampire in the 20th century is a nightmare. And the basic premise, again, is that this countess must have the blood of a virgin man three times before Halloween in order to stay young. What were your thoughts about that opening scene, friends? <laughs> I found many questionable moments. Um, I mean, those lines of dialogue all just feel like perfectly made for the trailer. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm forgetting, but were they all in the trailer? Every single one of them, probably? I don't think Cleavon's gotten to the trailer, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, this is like, what lines of dialogue can we put in this trailer so people know what we're talking about? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's like they're just they're just stating the mission statement right up at the top. And then it's like, OK, now we can move away from that and just right. be a sex comedy. But what's interesting is how long they linger on Sebastian going through the house, you know, yep. and swing, straightening things and cleaning things and looking at things with his like eye. And it's like. They're definitely, you know, trying to play up the like he is a homosexual. So he is interested in interior design or something like this business. Yeah. You know, I guess it's supposed to be kind of a bit, but it's like it's it's almost like like you're saying, Sophia, the pacing. It's almost like making it into some weird art film all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. What is going on? Like none of none of that really it could have been done in such a short amount of time to show like, oh, he's he's like the housekeeper. He's the he's not just the housekeeper, he's the butler, he's the chauffeur, he does her makeup, it's like everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Problems that I have, and I don't know if this is supposed to be funny, but she gets out of her coffin. Sebastian comes and brings her blood to drink. Um, and she's in her coffin in a workout outfit. Yes. And she gets up to go work out. I don't I've never known a vampire that needs to, you know, oh. get her cardio. Wow, that is interesting. I I guess it's making her like of the 80s, like of the moment, which is interesting because she has this like whole coterie of like vampire minions who are like all stuck in the past. So, right. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. So one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into like some more stuff about the, the vampire rules in this movie is that the countess calling her the countess immediately brings to mind Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Countess Elizabeth Bathory is this historical figure who was a Hungarian countess who was accused of killing and torturing over 600 girls and women in the early 1600s. And like the reason that she's still known today is a rumor arose that claims that she bathed in the blood of her virgin victims or her young victims anyway, in order to preserve her youth. Like that's the legend around her. She's sometimes called the blood countess and she gets put in a lot of vampire movies. And apparently, though, this rumor about the blood thing is probably just a rumor. There wasn't like any written record of that or evidence of that until 100 years like after the events leading to her imprisonment. So probably she wasn't actually a blood countess, but that's kind of the the image that has survived of Countess Elizabeth Bathory to this day. And she probably did torture and kill some people, but there is 
there have been also suggestions that people were trying to frame her for certain crimes in order to claim her lands or her power. So it's kind of a sort of one of those historical debates. David, did you have anything to add about her since you've heard about her? Just that she's uh, been the subject of a lot of movies and like TV shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. She's been, yeah, there's a ton. Like, have you seen, have you seen any of them personally or like, I feel like I have. I, I she was one of the American Horror Story seasons, wasn't she? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's I right. remember that. I don't know if I've seen any of the movies though. Yeah, like there's been a ton of movies, like Daughters of Darkness and Countess Dracula in 1971. There's a French movie called Immoral Tales from '73, an Australian movie called Thirst. Um, she, apparently, there was a character inspired by her in Hostel 2, which I haven't seen yet. I tried watching this movie called Chastity Bites from 2013, but it wasn't that good so far. And then there's been like some more interesting, sympathetic, dramatic takes on her, like Bathory from 2008 and The Countess from 2009. So like she's just really been this inspirational figure as this like female vampire, even though she probably never did anything with this blood to begin with. So, yeah, it's weird. Wow. This never came across my radar. I'm shocked. (laughs) How could yeah. this have never come? Because it's not my jam, I guess. But this is just too interesting. So, you mean wow. you don't en- you don't enjoy reading about bathing in virgin blood to preserve your youth, Sophia? I mean, yeah. I mean, I do spend a lot of money in skincare products, but like it's never <laughs> gone this far, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I don't recommend it either. So, yeah. Thanks. So, yeah. So, the, I think the Countess is kind of trying to be one of these figures based on Elizabeth Bathory, although interestingly. Unlike Countess Bathory, who would prey on women, this Countess is only preying on men. She doesn't really mention anything about the possibility of getting virgin girl blood to drink before Halloween. Yeah. I don't know. Is that the 80s being heteronormative or homophobic? Yeah, probably. Uh-huh. I mean, it, that tracks with the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. So then the other thing, like right away before we get into the movie as a whole, like, let's talk a little bit more about these vampires in the movie. So Sophia's already brought up that, like, for some reason, this is a vampire who works out. Let's talk about some of these other rules. So there are some that remain the same. Vampires can't go out in the daytime. They have to drink blood in some way to live. Although, do they have to drink blood daily to live? I didn't get that idea. I'm not sure, but there was there was one moment that made me laugh in this movie. Like I said, there was a few laughs in here, but uh, where they have whole blood in the fridge. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, I thought that was that was a good little sight gag. And I mean, so I mean, maybe they're just keeping it on tap, you know, just for when they need it. That's true. And that's a lot like true blood, although in true blood, I think it was like a manufactured blood at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea of the blood in the fridge reminds me a little bit of true blood. Yeah, I just like, I don't know if I saw any of her underlings like feeding and preying on people. So it's interesting. Maybe they all drink this blood in the fridge. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) They're just all kind of hanging out, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're just hanging out. They're doing what the Countess wants. Yeah. They all sleep Mm -hmm. in coffins. So that tracks with most vampire movies. And we do see evidence that she can put a temporary spell on humans, which I see in a lot of vampire movies. And they're all wealthy, or at least the Countess is wealthy and everybody lives with her. But I found that like a few things kind of unique, like for for one thing, the hierarchy here, like there's the countess and then she's got Sebastian doing like all her chores for her and wearing this like servant outfit. And then she's got all these vampire underlings that also maybe do errands for her, but not much. I just don't know. I don't know why Sebastian puts up with her, why he has to do all this stuff for her. And then, right. You know, he seems to be sort of senior to the other minions, but they seem pretty lazy to me. 
Yeah, not sure what they're. I guess they just Terbeck and call. They gather virgins. Uh, they That's gather their... virgins. That's their job. And then speaking of the minions, they are all caught in their time periods. So we have all these like weird different time period like minions. We have like the Cockney woman. You know, we have the hippie girl. We have the sailor guy we have the world war he, apparently in the pre credits he's world war one ace pilot guy they're all wearing these yeah. like costumes but she's wearing a workout countess is wearing a workout outfit what's going on here it makes no yeah. sense actually because it's treating them like they're ghosts that's what it's doing mm. it, it's 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 using ghost imagery on the on these minions when they should just be able to get dressed they're just immortal yeah right yeah, and later Mark starts dressing like in black at one point in the movie. And like, yeah, it's weird. Like he's not wearing right. like the most 80s thing that ever 80s or something. <laughs> and where did those girls come from? If she needs male virgins, where yeah. did those girls come from? Why are they there? Just for funsies? I don't know. I, don't know. I guess. I so that's one of the things. And then some other things like we find out they aren't very bothered by a crucifix. And they're not terribly menacing vampires like in any way. <laughs> So, yeah, the horror link is kind of tenuous on this particular movie. What do you think of the vampires in this movie? They're goofy, you know, like, and I mean, it is a comedy, but like, they're just super unthreatening, you know? Mm -hmm. And they don't appear to be particularly strong either, or even particularly clever. I mean, (laughs) right. They're the kind of dumbest weakest vampires very uncool usually vampires are pretty (laughs) slick did they seem cool in the 80s maybe i hate to say it but maybe they did maybe at least lauren hutton seemed cooler in the 80s lauren hutton was probably pretty cool yeah Yeah. but not those underlings no no they were never cool (laughs) because they're the bad guys right like we we don't want to root for them I guess not. Yeah, I just it, it's it's so weird. It's such a weird movie, like in terms of a vampire movie. So yeah, it's even kind of a weird movie in terms of a comedy sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had much different. we had much better historical figures in something like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which came out only a few years later, where there was like much more attention to detail and making the historical figures seem realistic. Right? This, right. Like, co- this like Cockney vampire is like. She's like somebody like who failed her audition for like My Fair Lady or something. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> At the high school production of My Fair Lady, mind you. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll we'll close out on the vampires for a while and we'll move over to Mark and Robin. We we get introduced to Mark, played by Jim Carrey and Robin, Karen Copens, in Mark's ice cream truck. And they're at some kind of local makeout spot. Mark is trying to convince Robin to have sex, and Robin says the the line of all female teenage virgins in movies i want it to be special (laughs) yep yeah like that line that particular like line and it's like engraved in my head like that's what i remember from the 80s there's a lot of movies where guys wanted to have sex and women said i want it to be special yeah it's such a cliche so cliche and yeah and like it's so opposite my experience of being like a young female like i I just wanted to have sex. I was way more like the guys. So I always found it kind of annoying. Anyway. And then um, Mark visits his friends at the fast food joint after failing to convince Robin to have sex with him once again. And one of his friends says that girls have a, quote, six-year cutoff time for sex. So if they haven't had sex with you in six years, they won't. I thought that was a weird, oddly specific joke. So bad. Yeah, I, w- so, I wonder if that was a thing then. Like, did people actually think that or was that written for the movie? 
I almost feel like one of the writers had a girlfriend that he was with for six years and he, she never had sex with him. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this was somebody's lived experience and they were trying to. <laughs> yes. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't remember anything like that. <laughs> anyway, the, the dudes, they're the ridiculous fast food friend dudes and Mark make a plan to go to Hollywood to meet loose women, I guess, because that's where all the weirdos are. And, um, yeah, and like I remember like Hollywood did, the neighborhood of Hollywood did have a really like kind of a seedy reputation in the 1980s. Like yeah. do you guys remember that? Like hearing about that? Yeah, like yeah, Hollywood, like Times Square in New York had that vibe too. Yeah, well, and this is still the era of like hair metal and all that stuff. So you've got like the Sunset Strip and like that whole vibe going on and and of course the music takes you right there so sure does <laughs> oh, are you so you're talking about the music in our montage that we're gonna hear sure. next? yeah oh yeah so that do you want me, the whole song do you want me to play the do you want me to play a clip of the music really quick and then we can discuss this montage in the music I, yes. I don't i don't know any other way we could continue all right so <laughs> I'm, I'm only gonna play a little bit of once bitten the song not a lot of it but here is a sample of the song Once Bitten by Three Speed, which is going to play over our Hollywood montage. So amazing. Yes. So what is your opinion of this song, David? You're you're the resident musician here. It, it rules. I mean, it rules in that like 80s cheesy, ridiculous way. I actually uh, did make like a movie theme song once for this ridiculous straight to video uh, movie with Tara Reid called Bus Party to Hell. Okay. And um, I, I did the, the theme song and I made it sound like super 80s and like it sounds a little more ACDC, but uh, I, I sing Bus Party to Hell on it and uh, it's super cheesy lyrics and like super over the top and exactly this kind of thing. Wait, dude. Wait, you sing on the song too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I had to. I, I don't normally do that on songs, but I had to for that project. And the song is all and the song is also called Bus Party to Hell. Uh huh. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Totally <laughs> so, ridiculous. Yeah. The bet no, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, this is such a thing of the 80s having this like song that's the same title of the movie. And like, yeah, I, I do I do appreciate that about it. And yeah, we do, like you said, David, we hear like this whole song that plays over this LA montage. And we've got like in the LA montage, there's like a palm reader sign. There's people with mohawks that the guys are like, whoa, look at those mohawk people, you know? <laughs> For some reason, there's like this attractive woman walking a lion on a leash as if it were a dog. Um, yeah, pretty random. That. They pass a photo shoot with a model. And like, these are some of the weird L.A. things they see. Like, any favorites among those or like. Actually, for me, it's their facial expressions. When, yes. You know, when they cut back to them and they're all crammed in the ice cream truck, which that <laughs> I think is a funny bit. And that they're going to go pick up women in. Um, and just their faces, like, oh my gosh, this is so out there, guys. Wow. <laughs> just like, okay. That whole scene to me was really funny. 
which I guess they're supposed to be probably from the valley or something. Like that would be the, you know, like the more the suburbs of LA probably. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And this is a real like time capsule of that moment. I mean, it, it, it probably really was like that for, for young people, you know, going out at, at that moment in time. And then they've got like the phone, a date club, which, uh, with the tables, with the phones and like, I, I don't think there's nothing like that anymore. Is there? Um, oh. yeah, I'll, I will, I will talk a little bit about like maybe one surviving example of that later, but yeah, they go to this club and there's like phones on the table where you can call the other tables and like try to pick up people at the other tables. Yeah. Which, which is, is a very eighties thing, but I'll, I'll give a little more info about that later after we talk about the scene. But, um, yeah, they go to this club now they're in the club and Russ is kind of the friend. He's the eighties friend. Who's like supposedly good with women, right? Like he's supposedly the guy who can pick people. There's always one of those friends in these friend groups with the movies about people trying to lose their virginity. And he's got his whole like, um, pickup line. So this is Russ's pickup line. Hi there. I'm Russ and uh, I'm a Sagittarius. I enjoy surfing, candlelit dinners, and Tolstoy. Hey, look, I'm a mature person and uh, you're a mature person. So why don't we just skip all the bullshit, get rid of our inhibitions, and uh, do what we really want to do. So yeah, this is this is Russ. And this is such a time capsule too, because it's the whole introducing yourself with your zodiac sign, which was kind of like, I think mainly a 60s and 70s thing, but it kind of carried over a little into the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you guys just for funsies, just for fun here. Like, what what, what would you put in your Russ pickup line? And I'm, I'm willing to go first. So you have to fill it in with like your name, your zodiac sign, an outdoor activity, a romantic activity, an impressive author. Like, if it's too on the spot, you don't have to do it, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give my Russ pickup line. Hi there, I'm Jen, and I'm a Pisces. I enjoy swimming, moonlit walks on the beach, and Shakespeare. <laughs> that's my that's my Russ pickup line. I love line. it. Ooh, okay. David, are you ready, or should I go? How about you go first? Okay. Hi, I'm Sophia. I'm an... I don't know what I am. I'm a... <laughs> Taurus. Taurus. Listen, I have a birthday in the cusp, so I okay, have to okay. pick one. Okay. Hi, I'm Sophia. I'm a Taurus. I enjoy bike riding, um, romantic cafes with cappuccino and croissants, and I enjoy reading um, Austin. See, it's harder than it looks, actually, to be Russ. Yeah, this is why Russ has to have this pre-programmed, because it's harder than it looks to spit this shit out. Russ is pretty smart, actually. Uh, wow, I need to work on that. I need to well, work yeah, on that. so you can go to the phone-a-date club, obviously. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, hi there, I'm Dave. I am a Libra. I enjoy walking around at night and, of course, watching movies at home and... I like to read Charlie Kaufman's one novel, Ant Kind, because that's all I've read in the past like 10 years. <laughs> really? Well, you're very honest. I don't know if it'll help you with the ladies or not, but it's very honest. I like Hopefully it. Hopefully she's not a reader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think Russ is a reader either. So it's, you know, it's just yeah. it's aspirational on his part. He's going to read Tolstoy someday. Anyway, yeah, thank you guys for indulging me in this. It, it is fun. harder than it looks. Like, I don't think it's the best way to meet women, but if you're going to have a pickup line, you got to practice it like good old Russ here. So, 
Yeah, and so Russ is actually calls somebody at another table, and we run into one of our first. Well, actually, this movie is just r- rife with problematic shit, right? But like, this yeah. is one of our first like sort of blaring alarm light problematic scenes, um, where he calls over to another table, then he goes over, and there's a whole joke about the the woman he's called over to turns out to be transgender, right? And it's like yeah. this big sort of panic moment, and he like kind of runs away from this table. Was that jarring to you guys as well? Like, or was it just 80s? You were just like, yeah, it was this just is just 80s. Movie. That was just right. 80s to me. Yeah, yeah, it was just part part of that that whole scene, kind of. Yeah, and it's kind of like played like um, Russ goes to the the woman. He's, are you a guy? And they say, does it matter? So it's like it's actually it could be uncertain whether this person is identifying as purely trans woman too. I don't know, but like, yeah, right. it's to, by today's standards, this scene is like no. Would get yeah, you it doesn't abs- work anymore. No, it would get you nowhere at all. And like, it was never really very funny to begin with, honestly. It's not like this is like the comic writing of Some Like It Hot or some shit, you know? This is like, just bottom of the barrel, like, like who can we laugh at, really? Yeah. Kind of humor. Yeah, so we've got that. And then, um, any more to say about the scene before I tell a little bit about phone-a-date clubs? Uh, yeah, I, I'd asked my brother to watch this and then tell me his thoughts on it. And he's like... I don't know. Is it a spoiler to say that it gets um, rated at the oh, end? Oh no! Of go that ahead. Scene? Go ahead. You can talk about okay. that. Go ahead. So uh, I think at one point they're talking to a married woman whose husband comes in with a gun and get, is pissed about it, and the place gets raided. And my, bro- my brother pointed out, he's like, "Why are all those victims and witnesses getting arrested? What's the?" St- <laughs> The guy with the gun, of course, but like, what about everybody else? He's like, and was that something of the time too, where like it was an it was an immoral place, and so you were getting arrested under like some morality issue? And I'm like, oh, good point. I'm pretty sure they got arrested so that they could have a scene where the female cops were frisking Russ and Jamie in their in their uh-huh. offshoot movie that had nothing to do with the vampire movie. <laughs> there's Russ and Jamie's movie, and then there's Mark and the Countess's movie, really. Like those yeah. are two separate movies that are trying to fit together, I think. So that so I'm going to tell a little bit about phone-a-date clubs because like I don't know if we'll run into this in one of our movies again, and I find this type of thing just fascinating. So I found mm-hmm. a few articles about sort of the history and examples of phone-a-date clubs. Um, there were a few in the 80s. There was the Tuxedo Junction nightclub in Newcastle in the UK. There was a restaurant chain on the East Coast and in the Midwest called Max and Irma's, which had telephones on the table with which you could call other tables. And that was more of like a proper restaurant, but you could still use the phones to flirt with people. And there's a mention of a club in New York City in 1968 called Ma Bell's. And that one was apparently featured in an episode of Mad Men or like they used it. I don't think the the restaurant is still open, but they mocked it up for an episode of Mad Men. But... Interestingly, this whole concept of this phone-a-date club where the, you call people from your table was probably originated in Weimar-era Berlin. So according to Atlas Obscura, this concept was pioneered by two different clubs in Berlin, the Resi and the Femina. And these two clubs also had pneumatic tubes on the tables, and you could send like written messages to other tables, and you could also send small gifts. And people like in this back room would like collect them and put them to the right tube and all this stuff. So, huh. I mean, that's fascinating. Weird. It looks like fun. Like, that sounds like fun. Pick up a phone and talk to somebody at another table. I I think it looks like fun, too. Honestly, I kind of wish these things existed. Like, I would take the pneumatic tubes, too. Like, send little messages and stuff. What about uh-huh. you, David? Do you think it looks interesting or fun? 
So much to take this concept and uh, create an event where uh, you have podcasters <laughs> and you have a little table set up and just, you know, random people could come and be a guest on your show for 10, 15 minutes. And then the next one comes. Oh, uh-huh. I yeah. love it. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I could see. I could see that. I could see that. But what about the dating aspect of it? Do you think this would have been eh. fun? I don't know if you're in your dating days right now. but I, 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 I'm married and uh, I, I'm not going. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's here's like all little innocent me where I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about in terms of dating. I just think it'd be fun to like have this phone at the table and just to dial other tables and Mm -hmm. so you would just talk to them about just random stuff (laughs) (laughs) there you go you'll be like how's the meatloaf is it any good should i order it what are you eating yes that's perfect because i never know what to pick so i love that idea (laughs) that does sound fun (laughs) brilliant oh man that's too funny yeah i'm like man i wish this had been a thing when i was like dating and flirting with people and you guys are like no no we're just we're just we're innocents over here (laughs) yeah that's all right i think any use anything to make dining or going to a club more social in a less kind of like um awkward way is always good though you know where you don't have to actually walk up to people where there's an agreed upon situation where people can call to each other and meet new people yeah, and apparently there is like at least one club that has these table telephones still installed, which is called the Ballhouse Berlin. At least as of a 2014 article, they still had the phones working. I can't say for sure whether they do today. I wasn't able to glean that from their website, but there may be hope. And, you know, you can always start, listeners out there, if you're kind of an entrepreneur, why don't you consider starting one of these clubs? I would I would be happy to be a patron. Just let us know. <laughs> So uh, at this club, the countess is there and um, her vampire minions, we've wanted to know what they do. And they they get Mark to meet the countess. It's like, do they have a virgin censor? And why don't they think Russ and Jamie aren't virgins? Like, why is it Mark? I don't know. Do you guys think that his friends are virgins or they have experience? What do you think? Yeah, no, they've never they've never touched anybody. But themselves. I doubt so, it. Like I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just posturing, you know, eighties okay. posturing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Jamie definitely has not had sex with a woman or a man. Like Russ, I don't know. I feel like he might have. I feel like he might have stumbled on some sex. Um, he's still really? a dork, right? Yeah, okay. I feel like maybe. Okay, maybe because if you if you try that often, I think eventually you will have success. Just the odds are in his favor. Mark does make his way to the Countess, and the Countess says to Mark, hello there, tall, dark, and handsome. And the Countess has a cigarette holder and actually says, do you come here often? Like, what? What? (laughs) This dialogue is like paint by numbers for like pickup scenes. And while this is happening, the the Russ and Jamie story uh, is happening where they they do get women but as i said earlier a jealous husband comes in and shows up with a gun and then everybody gets arrested and the and so as people are getting arrested and such and jamie and russ are getting frisked by a female uh police officer the countess gets mark to leave with her and she takes him to her house and the countess's car has uh, a license plate that says life spelled l y f sucks s u x what do we make That's of awesome. that? 
<laughs> you're, you're digging it, David. You're, you're with oh, it. Oh yeah, that rules. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, the the cliches continue back at the countess's house where she says to Mark, um, I'm just going to slip into something more comfortable. Okay. Yeah. We find Sebastian then like she goes upstairs to slip into something more comfortable. She finds Sebastian in her closet and she, he's trying on some of her clothes because apparently gay men do that, you know, in this universe. Okay. Yep. And, and then the countess says, get out of the closet, Sebastian. And then Sebastian says, I came out of the closet centuries ago. So it's like, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's like yeah. this whole performance from Cleavon Little and this whole character. On the one hand, like in the eighties, to have like sort of an out gay man in a somewhat sympathetic role was like kind of progressive. In another sense, it's like so many cliches thrown at this character. Like, how do you? Yeah. Like, I was going to talk about this later, but how do you guys feel about you know this whole character of Sebastian? I mean, like a lot of the rest of the movie, it's like half written. It's, you know, they, they just don't go far enough with any of it. Like, yeah, like you said, like it, it is kind of a uh, a thing that wouldn't have been done much in, in the 80s. So it's cool that they at least were trying to have a character like that in this movie, but they just don't do enough with it. Right. Uh, yeah. So you think if they like actually given Sebastian like more to do or like sort of a more developed storyline, like it might have been a little better or something or or at least funnier jokes like, yeah. you know, you know, just just go for the humor and like, don't worry about so much, uh, you know, developing it as like a character piece or anything. Just make it better jokes and it would at least, you know, have that. Yeah, because mostly he's just like being one kind of servant or another, like in this scene, now that he's out of this closet, like the countess has him do her makeup because she can't see her reflection in the mirror. So he's like doing her makeup. I guess it's implied that he's done her hair. Like he does like every job in this entire house, essentially. (laughs) Why doesn't he get these minions to like, like, you know, shape up a little bit? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Bizarre. Then downstairs, we see Mark is touching the portrait of the countess. She has a picture of herself like naked and he's touching the naked breast on the picture. And like she comes down and finds him doing this. And he's like, did you get this done at the mall? <laughs> that <laughs> was a good funny. One. Yeah, that yeah. was funny because that portrait 100% looked like it was done at the mall. <laughs> the, the Vigo portrait in Ghostbusters 2 is so much better than this portrait. Come on. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. That's kind of a puzzle piece. Could we call it a puzzle piece? Sure. (laughs) Let's do it. And so, like, Mark is obviously very awkward. Like, you know, he's never been with a woman. He's intimidated by her. And she, the Countess gets him on the couch and begins trying to seduce him. And one of her seduction methods is biting the buttons off of his shirt. So what is up with that? I don't know. It's supposed to be sexy or something. I got nothing on that. I, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I've never even heard of anybody like listing this as some kind of like fetish or thing they wanted done to them. Like, maybe taking a zipper down with your teeth, I've heard of before, you know, or sometimes ripping yeah. clothes off is mostly a man doing that to a woman, though. Biting the buttons off a shirt, like, who came? Was it supposed to be funny or was it supposed to be sexy? That's the big question. Yeah. Is that, like, oh, yeah. Good question. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> like, I honest to God can't even tell what the intent was with that. <laughs> so she bites the buttons off his shirt and then he, she kind of gets his pants off, I guess. And it's implied that she has like now bitten him and gotten some blood. Mark passes out and he wakes up with his pants down and Sebastian is bringing him some orange juice. 
and he believes that they have had sex. And it's like, did I like it? Or he's like, did I enjoy it? Which is another line I heard in all these 80s movies. I swear to God. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mark kind of leaves. And yeah, any more you guys want to say about this scene with the seduction and so forth? Yeah, I think at the end, the Countess is like, I'll be seeing you again. And Mark is like, oh, I I have a girlfriend and, uh, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then leaves. But it's like, because now that becomes a problematic theme in these 80s films and whatnot and later on in the story as well. I wanted to point what, that out. What's that? Just the, the sort of casual cheating and so forth? Yeah. Or? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. The casual cheating and how that plays out later with when uh, Robin. Yeah. Well, out. actually, we can kind of go right yeah. to that aftermath then. Sure. So, yeah, the, ne- the next day, uh, Mark is hanging out with Russ and Jamie at like this, the high school cafeteria and, oh, I have to point out, Russ is wearing a, t- a sweatshirt that says freelance gynecologist on it. Uh, I saw that. So yeah. disgusting. <laughs> to throw up. <laughs> yeah, not only does he have this freelance gynecologist shirt, but he also refers to breasts as magoombas. That's pretty awesome. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to bring that back. <laughs> I don't think it's a chick getter though. I don't think it's really like, it's a good thing you're married. Cause like, yeah. it's not going to help you. Probably. <laughs> probably. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So Robin overhears their conversation about the Magoombas and what did or did not happen with them. And now um, we have Robin confronting Mark. So we're going to play just a little clip of that. Saturday night, the three of us went up to Hollywood. Hollywood was Russ's stupid idea. You mean to tell me you went home with a woman you met in a bar in Hollywood? And? I don't want to talk about it. You didn't make love to her. I think so. I don't know. know. You think so? You don't know? I remember she bit the buttons off my shirt. And the next thing I remember is Sebastian bringing me orange juice. Sebastian? The chauffeur. The chauffeur. Well... I also like the butler, too. The butler? You mean they all saw her bite your buttons? No! I mean, I don't know what happened exactly. Oh, Mark. I can't believe you're willing to throw away our relationship on a one-night stand with a chauffeur and a butler and a slut who eats buttons. But you did. You really did. You can have your damn ring back. What am I supposed to do with it? Use your imagination. Wow. Just to also point, continuing to point out the poorly written script, like all she does is ask questions. The butler? Sebastian? Like, you know, can, I don't know. Like, Sophia, how can you call this a poorly written script when, when she, when, when that sentence about a chauffeur and a butler and a slut who eats buttons is in the, in the, in this line of dialogue? Like that, that was a gem. I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. That was, that was good writing there. Yeah, and clearly the buttons thing turned out to be more important than we realized when we were first talking about it because it comes up again later. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Jinx. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, and it really seems to bother Robin specifically that she was this is eating the buttons. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He got off easy, really, too. Like, he oh, doesn't man. know if he had sex. Like, what? 
Yeah. I'm kind of confused by her. Like, she does stick up for herself and she does tell, you know, throws the ring back and, you know, it's like we're over, but then also puts up with a lot of his bullshit. And, like, anyway. So the next scene is one of my favorite scenes, actually. I don't know if this stuck out to either of you, but I, I've seen the movie three times now. So <laughs> by, by the third viewing, I was kind of like interested in this scene where we see Mark back at home and he emerges from a trunk where he has apparently been sleeping as if it were a coffin. This is like our first evidence that he's turning into a vampire. And we get this like, I thought it was kind of funny scene with his dad who's portrayed by an actor named Richard Shaw. And why I find this scene so funny is his dad, the guy who plays his dad is just such a great straight man in this scene. He just looks like such a real dad. Who's just like really playing this role with all his heart <laughs> and just really confused by his son. Who's been like sleeping in this coffin and looks a little pale. Like, what do you guys, did you guys notice this or is it just me? I I'm trying to remember some of the jokes from, from the scene. Cause I do remember uh, the dad, like that, that confrontation being fun. I'm trying to remember any like specifics though. Yeah, I don't even know if it was the dialogue that did it for me. I just found like their physical, like their yeah. facial expressions and like they really did. Mm -hmm. Like this is one of the only scenes in the movie that felt kind of authentic to me. Like mm -hmm. his interaction with his dad and his changing into a vampire. I really think if they'd mind like the vampire transformation for more humor and like the way he interacts with other people. I think that is where the best stuff in this movie comes from because Jim Carrey is so good at selling physical comedy and facial expressions. Mm -hmm. And the parent, the people who played the parents were actually pretty competent actors, I think. And they were able to, you know, play off him. So mm -hmm. I thought it was funny. I guess I thought like the whole, the the bit, the gag of him sleeping in the trunk and, and not feeling like that was weird or get what his dad was talking about was just silly <laughs> to me. And oh, okay. I think Jim Carrey's good at playing ridiculous bits. I think he's good at like selling them. So it worked for me. Now we have a ridiculous bit that did not work for me. Mark has a dream and he's like in this like kind of stark white room and he's on a date with the countess and it's like really fancy looking. This is not what young guys dream about, by the way. They don't, right. Right? They don't, they don't dream <laughs> to go into like a fancy dinner with like fancy French decorations and accordion music. Right? Is this we're right about this, right, David? I could say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if this is like just the countess sending the dream to him because she does mm. say like, I'll see you in your dreams or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that's right. Th oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And at this fancy dinner, they kiss and then Mark sees blood on her mouth and he's kind of horrified by it and wakes up. So it, it's yeah, it's weird. Did this this scene didn't really do much for either of you probably either. I don't know. No, I Not think really. I walked out and did something in the kitchen and oh, wasn't no. sad that I missed it. Yeah, you're, you're not supposed to admit this, Sophia. <laughs> you must be a servant of the movies. All right. Well, whatever. You were not. And then, yeah, and then we get to like Robin and Mark talking again. And yeah, as Sophia was mentioning, um, Robin now backs down from breaking up with him. And she yeah. listens to him kind of say, oh, I was drunk, which he wasn't even. Right. And, and like, and she's like now blaming herself for making him sexually frustrated. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna do we're gonna do a little bit of the dialogue they have here. That's part of being a teenage girl. You're supposed to say no, and I'm supposed to get pissed off. You make it sound like the fifties. Yeah, I guess I'm an old fashioned guy. Just like okay, Ugh. so Jeez. cringy, so bad. <laughs> oh lord well and her whole thing she's like i really do i really do want to do it maybe just as much as you do and it's like 
because that's a surprise or that would be so weird or oh man I wanted to throw up all over the place (laughs) (laughs) Jen your take on it oh just you know like I've said before like um I when I was a teenager I wanted to have sex um I was like the nerd who couldn't get like guys to be interested in me for a while and I was like when I was able to have sex I was like all right let's get this done so I don't relate to this stereotype and it's so and it's just it's so retrograde and it's like yeah and this idea that a relationship is supposed to be one person forcing someone else to do something they don't want to do is so so terrible right that seems to be a big part of 80s teen sex comedy stuff yes it was in films it was in books because you know i'm a big romance novel reader i've said before um and it's i listen to other podcasts about romance novels and such and writers will talk about like yeah we wrote in that style of this kind of like no yes no yes and thing and they're repulsed that they even did it and how much that's changed in that genre as well that medium I remember, I remember all these cliches and I remember growing up thinking that I was like maybe different than other girls because like, I didn't feel like this, you know, I, yeah, it was kind of alienating in some ways. And, and of course, like there's still, I think to this day, sort of a double standard around sex where like guys are, you know, congratulated a little more if they are sexually active than women are. Women are sometimes still, you know, slut shamed and so forth. So Mm -hmm. we haven't really a hundred percent escaped any of this. I don't think. no but it's a little better. Yeah, I suppose. I, I don't know. I would have to ask Gen, Gen Zers today what they think about the situation, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then we get, like, really briefly, too, we get a scene that has nothing to do with Mark, Robin, or the Countess, or vampires. We get this, like, random scene where Russ and Jamie go to try to pick up women in a laundromat. Yeah, what do you guys think of this scene? Any memory just of it? filler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just filler, basically. But it seems like it was important to the writers. Of this. They kept it. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah the, B, the B plot. This is yeah. their, their their effort at a B plot. And and the scene has like two gags. Like it has like right. two payoff gags. Jamie gets um, thrown into a dryer and he's like seen kind of like like revolving around in the dryer and Russ has to get him out. And then Russ uses his pickup line, actually succeeds in picking some woman up. But then she turns out to want to dominate him and he's. incredibly frightened of her and runs away yeah so like she wants to whip him and tie him to the bed i don't know if this woman is supposed to really be a dominatrix or if she's just like knows that she's gonna like tease this make this guy scared i don't know which one but either way that's the whole gag that's the point of this whole scene apparently and it's right out of an 80s movie about virginity which this movie falls squarely into so like we were just talking about losing your virginity was a huge theme in 80s teen movies um, some of the examples we have Little Darlings from 1980, Porky's from 1981, The Last American Virgin, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Going All the Way from 1982, Losing It from 1983, and many more. Did you guys see any of these type films or remember them? Yeah, Porky's. we actually covered Little Darlings over on uh, Awesome Movie Year for our 1980 season, and uh, oh. it's actually a really good one in this particular subgenre. Nice. And that one's more, I believe, focused on girls losing their virginity. Yeah. 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 So they're not all wanting to see that. I remember that at the video store, too, and being like, I'd like to check this one out, but I never did. Um, (laughs) It's worthwhile. I would definitely recommend it. Oh, I'll get a shot now. But Porky's I saw at a friend's house. (laughs) Not at my house. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I think I saw parts of. Not all wow, of it, Wow, you haven't seen the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the ones that's more popular, I would say. I right. haven't, I've still not seen Porky's. I tried to watch it to prepare for this episode, and I was, like, so bored. Like, I was just, like, couldn't keep watching it, to be honest. <laughs> there are a few. Maybe I watched, like, Porky's 3. I don't know if uh, they got better along the way. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I haven't seen those movies since I was, like, 12 or something, the Porky's movies. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, but like, I'm really intrigued by what you say about Little Darlings, though. Cause like, I think like this genre doesn't have to be bad. I think it can do interesting things. Yeah. Um, it just sometimes chooses not to. It sometimes mm-hmm. goes for the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of, of course, this like genre isn't exclusive to the 80s. Like, we've seen future movies like American Pie, Can't Hardly Wait, Super Bad, like a lot of other movies that kind of pursue this like, Guys trying to get sex, guys trying to lose their virginity, and sometimes women also trying to lose lose their virginity and get sex. Yeah, do you have any any in the, in the later movies that are stick out to you or that are favorites? I mean, American Pie came out like right as I was graduating high school, so I mean, it was just like perfect timing. I guess Can't Hardly Wait also was like right around there. So I mean, that genre was a major thing, you know, as I as I was a teen and then into my early twenties and. You know, a lot of them are really fun and they, they still hold up as very funny, even if some of the elements, you know, of course, you know, can be a little cringy by today's standards. But, uh, you know, they're still very funny. And I, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to work in today's age. Like there's really not a lot of them anymore. Let's see. I'm trying to think of one that came out quite recently and it's very popular and I can't remember its name and it's driving me crazy. Booksmart. Isn't that doesn't it have a virginity plotline also doesn't Booksmart also have that? I don't remember huh. if they had a virginity thing or not. I know they wanted it was basically super bad. So, I mean, probably <laughs> <laughs> because super bad was all that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I really liked Can't Hardly Wait. And I feel like I've liked some of the later years movies that take little different spins on it. Oh, and I guess the 40 year old version is a uh, a great uh, comedy <laughs> version. I mean, I, I loved that movie when that came out. What was that 2004 or five, something around there. But that's that's one that that. I, I don't know. I think it's genuinely hilarious. Yeah, I really like that movie, too. And I think it's quite heartfelt. And I think like just having that different spin on it that like somebody who's 40 that you don't really expect. I think yeah. that's also very interesting. OK, so and I wanted to know, like, so these these movies were obviously present in all our youths, like in all our young lives. Do you think like this trope had any effect on your thoughts about sexuality or when you should lose your virginity or things like that? I don't feel like they affected me personally and like my own thinking but i do think they affected the culture and Mm. then you know by second hand then that probably affected me um but not directly the movies but yeah i mean i it is a weird thing the way that uh a lot of the times it feels like the movies are either influencing or predicting where where the culture is going to go and it did go to all this in the nineties and then into the early two thousands. And it's only now kind of changed and I'm sure it'll change back to that at some point too. I mean, like that, that's something that happens in culture. Things just keep changing. Mm. Mm. Like Sophia, do you think it had any influence on your thinking or like made you feel like any certain way about like the concept of virginity? I think it had, I think it perpetuated the like guys only want one thing. Mm. So and, and there's, I think, gosh, where did this come from? Did it come from my 
Greek background or did it come from a churchy background of very much like, be careful, watch out, watch out, because those boys, they're going to, that's all they want. And it, and then, yeah, it made me uncomfortable because it's like, oh, let you know, I would enjoy a flirt or an interest. But then if it maybe felt like there was, uh, you know, it was going to go a little bit further, I got freaked out. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's it. You know, there's no other uh, no other reason for them to be around here or whatever. So, yeah, it didn't do good things for me, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and just the messages around my life perpetuating that, too. Yeah, and I don't know if I was super affected by it, but I do remember like thinking that losing your virginity was such a big deal. Like it was like right. one of those life markers, right? I still remember like the date that I lost my virginity and the time because at the time I think it I just remember felt- the date too, though. Like it was a big deal. It was like an announcement after. But- I'm kidding. I'm just busting your chops. But yeah, but like, <laughs> but I, but I think the only reason I think like, of course, it was like sort of important in some ways too, like just in a life sense. But I think it became this monumental thing. Because of like what culture had told me about losing your virginity and you're going to remember right. it forever. You always remember your first time, you know, like, yeah. vir- like I grew up like singing like a virgin when I was six and seven years old, you know, yeah. by Madonna, like I, 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 not knowing what the lyrics were yet, but it was just so suffused in the culture that this became this big event. I used to yeah. celebrate the loss of my virginity. Like I used to keep track of the anniversary. I am not kidding. So, <laughs> and when you really think about it, it's very arbitrary too, because like what, like, what does losing your virginity mean? You know, like, right. is it just this like penis and vagina sex act? Of course not. Because like, not only not everybody's heterosexual for one thing, but like, there's all these mm-hmm. different ways you can express sexuality. So sure. it's, just, it's just very interesting. Like mm-hmm. this cult of the virginity movie thing from the 80s, I think, really did kind of like give us an idea of like what virginity is, how important it should be in your lives, etc. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then the other thing about virginity in this movie is it keeps being harped on that 18 is so old to be a virgin. Like it's impossible for them to find virgin blood. And I was kind of trying to look up like and to find out like how true this even was in the 80s. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find good statistics like going back that far. I did find evidence that like there was kind of like a culture of like teenagers losing their virginity earlier. So like the LA Times in 1998, they were reporting that teenagers were starting to lose their virginity later in the 90s, right? And in the course of that article, it said that sexual intercourse among teens had incre- had increased from the 1970s into the 1980s and began to decrease again in, in the 90s. So these movies were kind of being informed by an actual thing that was going on in the culture, of course, like, you know, probably because birth control was more available, the sexual revolution of the 60s, teenagers were starting mm-hmm. to get into sex earlier. So that was like, there was a like, sort of a reason for this obsession, maybe this cultural ex- obsession, but it, the numbers weren't huge necessarily. The CDC said that sexual activity among girls 15 to 19 jumped from 29% in 1970 to 57% in 1988. And, and that's a range of like 15 to 19. So 57% of those girls. I mean, I guess it's a lot. It's more than half, but it's not like, but Countess could probably find the 43%. You know what I mean? Right. And that's for girls, of course, but I don't think, and I wasn't able to find the number for guys, but traditionally the numbers haven't been too far apart. So yeah, apologies that I couldn't find better statistics, everybody. I'll work on it in the future. It's okay. It's okay. These but are yeah, pretty good. It, it just doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like um, virgins would have been quite as scarce, even in LA. And I looked at some other information. It's really unclear, too. Like, it's really hard to say whether teenagers today are having less sex. The CDC seems to think so. 
They said that sexual activity among teenagers has been trending downwards from 2007 to 2017. Again, I don't have more current numbers, but it, yeah, it does seem like maybe the 80s was like this little bit of a teenage sex revolution, and then it kind of died down again, but nothing like so extreme like in this movie. We're going to move on now to a clothing, a little interlude in the clothing store. There's not much to say about this other than in this scene, Mark goes to visit Robin at a clothing store where she works. He gets yeah. um, confronted in the dressing room by the countess who gets blood from him again. And there's a line where he's like, please don't bite my buttons. And he's trying to hide the countess from Robin while she's trying to help him like try on some clothes. And yeah. I did find some value in the scene because you see a little glimpse of Jim Carrey's physical humor when he's approaching Robin in the yes. clothing store. Yeah. Yes. But other than that, it's kind of like it just moves the plot along. Yeah. Man, those 80s clothes. And we get also now Mark's transformation continuing now that he's had his second bite. By the way, usually in vampire fiction, the vampire has to give you some of their blood for you to turn into a vampire, but apparently not in this universe. I, I didn't know that that was a fact, so I've not been troubled by this. Yeah, I think they're playing just fast and loose with vampire, uh, you know, yeah. rules. <laughs> well, anyway... Mark's turning into a vampire. He at home, he drinks some chicken blood by accident instead of his orange juice and his parents get to react to that. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's kind of a funny scene where these kids come to buy ice cream from him and he hisses at them. Like that's pure Jim Carrey, the expression on his face, pure Jim Carrey. Yeah. And then we get another stupid dream sequence with like this. Okay. The bat in this dream sequence, that was bad on purpose, right? <laughs> yeah. I it, had to so. it was great. <laughs> So yeah. that worked for you, Sophia? Because it was so bad. It was clearly like this fuzzball thing on the strings bouncing up and down. It was like, yeah, that had to have been on purpose. And then like the bat turns into Mark, who's in this full on Dracula costume. And Mark goes and bites Robin, who's lying on a bed while the Countess watches gleefully. What do you guys think about this scene? Like, what's that about? Like, why is the Countess watching Mark bite Robin? Like, what are we... Yeah, what is that trying to say there? It, it just seems to be like kind of uh, flying by at, at this point. Like kind of, it's almost like they're just rushing towards the end at this point in the movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's not much to say because it's just stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So now we come to my actual, my favorite scene. This is a scene I remember from being a kid. So when I watched it all these times when I was a kid, I remember this like dance off scene. Um, we come to a school dance. Everyone's in costume. Robin is dressed as Jill from Jack and Jill. Mark was supposed to be Jack, but he is dressed all in black. There's a gag that recurs that everyone keeps saying, what a great vampire costume. And he's like, I'm not dressed as a vampire. Yeah. And then the Countess shows up at this school dance and she and Robin have kind of like a dance battle. Mm -hmm. And like the Countess is dressed up in like this like black leotard and tuxedo kind of jacket and this like top hat and heels. And like the, and then Robin's in her like Jill outfit my first question is, who let this like 40-year-old woman into this school dance? Right. Uh, right. <laughs> Why would she need to bite Mark at the school dance? Like, really? I, that I don't know. know if her purpose is to bite him there. I think her purpose is to just lure him away. Okay. But okay. yeah. But yeah, but, but I yeah. love this scene. Did you guys like this dance scene? Like, is it just me? No, I did. Because I, like I said, I was really impressed with 
uh robin like that's the funny thing about the robin character to me is like she's supposed to be sweet and innocent but then she especially in this particular scene which reminded me a lot of like top secret oh that's Mm. another one it reminded me of top secret and it reminded me of greece right um the the danny zuko and the sandy and chacha dance off back and forth thing but I thought that Robin had really great moves. All of a sudden she comes out with these like really hot, sexy moves and like her hips are going. And stuff. <laughs> that I thought was funny. Yeah. And she's stripping down. So throughout this and dance she, battle, yeah. like, like the, the countess is starting to win with her like sexiness and everything. And so like Robin starts stripping down and she's wearing this like white underskirt and her white leotard. And like, I loved this as a kid. Now I l- enjoy it, but I'm also like, Oh, this is like a total, like, playboy fantasy of like two hot women fighting over a guy like now when i watch it now that's what i see yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like i still enjoy it but i feel slightly guilty for enjoying it <laughs> that's funny yeah it's a fun scene though like uh, you know all of the dance off stuff it, it fits so perfectly in with with like a lot of the big climactic scenes of these 80s movies and this particular one is set to a song called hands off by maria vidal And this uh, singer also shows up um, in the movie. Apparently she's playing her music in the movie. She has another song called just one kiss, which she plays earlier in the scene. And I'm just, I'm going to sing just a little bit of the song just to give some flavor. Okay. So this is, this is the actual song. Hands off. He belongs to me. Hands off. He's my private property. Hands off. I'll tell you just one last time. The boy is mine. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. That was good. <laughs> so, so that gives you a little flavor. It gives you a little flavor of the style of the music. And it also gives you a flavor of like, this is a women fighting over a dude scene. And then Robin basically wins this dance sequence by kind of just stripping off clothes and kissing Mark. Like that that's what the deciding factor seems to be. And oh, I got to put in too, though. You were impressed by Karen Copen's dancing. I was impressed by Jim Carrey's yeah. dancing, actually. I thought he did well. He's a good mover. He knows how to move his body, you know? I guess he dances in the mask too, right? I haven't seen that in like forever. Yeah, I think there's like a a bunch of musical sequences in that. All right. Well, that was my favorite scene in the movie and it's all downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) Was this anyone else's favorite scene in the movie, by the way? I don't think I had a favorite, but it just reminded me of Grease, you know? So I was like, rip off. But no, not a rip off. Uh, a puzzle piece. There you go. 100%. That's exactly right. It's never a ripoff. It's inspired by something. That's right. Yes. So, That's yes. right. Um, I don't know. My my favorite scene was probably when he first gets to her mansion because there's the the most joke per average. Or well, how would you say that? <laughs> like, you know, that actually lands during that scene. There's, okay. there's like three laughs and okay. there's not that many laughs throughout like most of the rest of the movie. So. Got yeah, it. I was just enjoying the dance aspect of it probably at this point. I'm just like, oh, I like dancing. I'll, and the yeah, song's not right. bad. So yeah, I'll just break it down here. I don't know. The song does rule. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to begin our spoiler section of the movie. So if you still want to watch Once Bitten, after all the things we have said about it, please go and watch Once Bitten first before continuing the rest of the episode if you do not want to be spoiled. And so now we can talk anything that happens in the rest of the movie. So, um, yeah, after the dance, um, Mark and Robin talk and he's telling Robin that he's concerned because he's disappearing from mirrors. He's continuing to turn into a vampire. So now we get 
Wow, it's really hard to choose the most offensive scene in this movie, but this is in the running for me. <laughs> in a very <laughs> 80s way, mind you. In the 80s, this was not offensive. In the 80s, this was a, just a movie, right? But like, we get this scene where Robin goes to a bookstore to find out about vampirism, as you do. And yeah. I'm just going to tell you that the man in the scene is in no way from India. All right, that's all you need to know. <laughs> Vampire. Did you say vampire? Oh, yes. Do I have some books on vampires? Goodness gracious. Just follow me. You know, it is most unfortunate, the shocking reputation that vampires are having these days. You know, most people are basing their opinions on those silly vampire movies. What is this doing here? Is there such thing as a female vampire? What, of course. The result of a vampire bite just the same as any other vampire. You know, there are even cases of cat and dog vampires. Don't worry about it, the cleaning lady will fix it when she comes next week. As I was saying, cat and dog vampires, and I even remember once in the 1960s, a gerbil was bitten in the hind Could leg. Could a woman vampire actually exist today? Like maybe in Hollywood? But that's the ideal place. You see, she can blend in with the crowd. Could one of these lady vampires actually bite a guy? You know, like a teenage guy? Well, how old would he be? Like 18? Oh, I seriously doubt it. You see, the female vampire needs the blood of a virgin. And an 18-year-old boy would hardly be a virgin now, would he? Well, just hypothetically, what if he was a virgin? <laughs> well, then I think he has a lot bigger problems to worry about than female vampires. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> so I, I, will, I will say the line is pretty funny. <laughs> um, but the accent's terrible, but yeah, I mean that there's so many of these like eighties movies where they just have culturally insensitive stuff, you know, going on with accents and stuff like that. And, and it's like, just, it's just weird. Yeah. Like why yeah. India too? Why is this guy from India going to be an expert on vampires in particular? Like why not yeah. like Romanian or something? You know what I mean? I right. Right. <laughs> it's like At this this part though, where she goes to do research and she's at this bookstore and this guy knows this stuff. I wonder if that is like uh, a holdover part of the script from when they tried to make it a little more darker. Oh, sure. You know? That's a trope in every horror movie that you go to, right. like, you know, some expert who tells you, and I love that trope generally. Okay. Generally I love that trope in a horror movie, but it's just so, and like, what is with the gerbil vampire joke? Like, what is going yeah, on? I don't know. I don't know. Which line were you liking, David? Just the part like he has bigger problems or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I even wrote that down in my notes. So. <laughs> I think he, if he's a vampire at 18, if he's 18, I think he's got bigger problems than vampires. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got we go from that random scene to another very insensitive scene by our today's standards um, where Robin tells Jamie and Russ that they have to check to find out if, if um, Mark has bites on his inner thigh, which hello, Mark would definitely let Robin check. So why doesn't she just check? But you know, whatever. Right. this leads to this sequence in the school gym shower, where instead of just explaining to Mark that they need to check and see if he has like marks on his thigh, they are showering with him and eventually end up manhandling him and grabbing him in the shower to which like, the guys in the shower start shouting like homosexual slurs at them. I'm not even going to say the word anymore, but just like they say yeah. F slur alert, F slur alert and like F slur in the shower. Okay. Right. Like it's, it's like that word was used all the time in eighties movies. Mind you, like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure has it. 
you're going to find it everywhere. Right. But it was just uh-huh. particularly like jarring in this scene. Like it came, I was like, actually like, Whoa, like, yeah. Cause they keep yelling it over and over again. And it's just like this homosexual panic scene. Right. Like, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's not like a one-off like in Bill and Ted, which, yeah. you know, is still, you know, it's not cool or whatever, but like this, they just keep going and going and hammering it in. Like, like they're really freaked out about it. Yeah. Like, and it's just, yeah, it, it comes off extra bad. And then even later, Jamie is worried, like starts worrying that maybe he is a homosexual. And he says, maybe I'm a rump ranger. Like, hello. Oh, like, <laughs> I, I have to say, I've never heard that expression outside of this movie. So I don't know. It's yeah. like they're trying to make new new slurs for homosexuality or something like that. I don't know. And it's so weird to see this too in a movie side by side with the character of Sebastian. Like, because even though Sebastian's like pretty highly stereotyped, I would say you're supposed to like him. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's portrayed as quite intelligent and like, like he knows what's up more even than the countess maybe does. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, there was a commentator on the YouTube channel, black gay history who actually like watched this movie and really, and reported really enjoying the character of Sebastian in this movie as giving like sort of like representation in the 1980s. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, wow. At least somebody's watching this movie and being like, all right, yeah, this is this is good. So cool. I don't know. Right. Somebody. It was it was the, the shower scene was shocking. The it was hard to watch. Yeah, and it's like and it was just done for the gag. Like it did it's a scene that didn't need to exist, right? Like Right. There's like a million ways you could have found out this information otherwise, but it's like totally in line again with like with these teen sex comedies. Like and oftentimes right. there there would be like jokes about homosexuality like built into them. Or really any coming of age story with guys would sometimes have this like homophobia built into it on some level. I mean, it was a real thing in the 1980s. It's still a thing today, but it was much realer in the 1980s. Okay, so now we have a plot point that like, what, what, like, there's like a, you see like all of a sudden Robin is getting pulled into a limousine and that's leading us to the end of the movie. There's no explanation of how this happened. Did you guys notice this? Was she pulled in or did, she, did they like just open the door and she walks in? I, I'm I'm at a loss, honestly. Now I'm wondering which one it was because it seems like we all kind of, I don't know, this scene just seemed like it glossed over. Kind of like that other scene where I said it's like they're just rushing through. Like, yeah, I don't I don't recall her getting kidnapped, like like actually seeing it or anything. But. It was just like a blink and you miss it moment where it's like, Oh look, yeah. it's Robin sort of like, and then she's getting into this limo. And the next thing you know, we're going to the countess's house to rescue her. I almost feel like, like they didn't know how to end the movie and they're just like, well, we'll just put that there. And that explains it. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have a final confrontation at the countess's house. And, um, the vampires are all dressed up in tuxes for a ceremony where the countess is going to get the last of Mark's blood and uh, preserve her youth, presumably, and turn him into a vampire as well. This is a weird scene. What do you guys think about this scene? What What did you notice from this scene? The way that the countess is going after Mark, it wasn't like funny and cute to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a she's a stalker. And this is, I mean, I guess that she's desperate or whatever, but it was, it was no longer sp- had a funny edge to it it had a really creepy edge to it so i noticed that bit like this predatorial aspect and like rapey aspect where they get him in this chair and they spread his legs open and i was like and everyone's watching and it was disturbing to me 
it wasn't threatening enough to feel disturbing to me, but I see where you're coming from. Like I never for a minute felt like they were going to lose. You know what I mean? That they were going to, that he was going to get turned. True. True. But it, yeah. If it were that darker script, that's where it was headed. Right. Right. And yeah, like it it goes back to that trailer when I made that comment about the, uh, the trailer about how she, she knows how to, or she, she loves a virgin or whatever. Like it's like, it just goes back to that predatory vibe of this, this woman, coming after this teen guy and like you know it, the the scene it does feel like they've run out of steam at this point and that's why there's <laughs> like kind of no action there really it's just kind of lazily works its way towards the end i did think you know it's funny when you know the 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 final reveal in the coffin room is funny yeah yeah we'll get to yeah. that i think i will save that for a little like just at the end of this but like the chase scene though like there yeah, were there the were like scene is so low energy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the struggling. Yeah. So there's scenes where like Robin and Jamie and Russ are trying to struggle to get out of the vampire's grip. And I was like, if I had been the director there, I would have been like, hold on to them more tightly. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like as a theater yeah. director, I've only done theater directing and I would have been like, hey guys, you gotta hold on to them more tightly. It looks like they could get loose. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like none yep. of it felt real. And you could have played this scene to be more realistic. You could have played it to have slightly higher stakes. They're just running around the house this way and that way. Like it just feels nothing. And oh, yeah. speaking of dialogue made for the trailer, there's like three different lines in this scene that go directly into the trailer. Like Jim Carrey, I don't want to be a vampire. I'm a day person. Robin going, I'm the owner of the pants you've been trying to get into for the last four years which is what make wakes Mark up out of his like trance from the countess for some reason. And oh, then, yeah. and then I think it's Russ going to Sebastian. How'd you like your crotch set on fire? And Sebastian goes, Ooh, rough trade. Like <laughs> this is their, this is their gold mine for their trailer here, right here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but the reveal is good. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the reveal, David? Oh, uh, just that uh, it, it's revealed that they've kind of, uh, beaten her by finally having sex in in the coffin which is like you know it could have happened at any point during the story but it happens <laughs> right now during the big climax so it's kind of it's kind of a perfect button on the story yeah, yeah. and this is this is also something i remember from being a kid like i like i this is one of the few memories i had from watching it as a kid this coffin scene made a huge impression on me like because i was always <laughs> trying i think to figure out like what is sex how do people have sex and like uh-huh. i was like okay they're lying down together and then and it's always with the cigarette they're smoking cigarettes somehow right. right they've been in the coffin for a minute and they you know open up and and robin comes out being like hey you know like she's had the best sex of her life and i'm like oh no that's that's <laughs> ridiculous and I forget, I actually have a clip of this scene, which I, I do want to play so people at okay. home can hear it. So people at home can hear the wonderful, yes, everything that is the end of this movie. You're too late. You couldn't have. You've been in there less than a minute. You could have, but you didn't have time to enjoy it. What time is it? Midnight.
Somebody get a plastic surgeon. Quick. I need a virgin. I need a virgin. Now. Don't worry. There are other virgins out there. Somewhere in places like Kansas, Nebraska. I'll never find another virgin. Never! Now, now, I'll take care of you. There's always tomorrow. You know, maybe the Countess is right. It would be better slower. Let's find out. <laughs> I believe I've created a monster. Yeah. Hey, so stupid. And they go, they oh, go back into the they go back into the coffin to have more sex because that is how low stakes these vampires are, right? Yeah. You, yes. Right. <laughs> I, I love that there's two underdeveloped things happening at once. The the conversation uh, between the Countess and uh, Cleavon Little, and then the, the conversation between uh, the couple in, in the coffin. And neither of them are particularly funny, but they're like cutting back and forth between the two of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in this clip, the Countess, it has turned midnight and she has aged rapidly. And really like this is played for the most horror in the entire film, a old woman. Like that is the scariest thing in this entire movie. Um, the other vampires recoil in horror as she becomes what looks like about like an 80 year old woman or something. It's not even particularly grotesque, just old, right. mm -hmm. which is also a wonderful message that this movie is sending out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah and oh, I, and another thing, oh, Robin bites a button. She's spitting out a button. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I think one of the writers just had like a, a button thing, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. some kind of fetish. Like they baked that into this whole entire script. Yep. One of them had a girl he dated for six years who never like gave him any sex. And the other one had a button fetish. Yep. Yes. It's a whole thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So in honor of David and his podcast, we're going to now do some puzzle pieces. So David, go ahead and tell us about some puzzle pieces you found in this movie. Sure. So on a regular numbered episode of Piecing It Together, we'll take a look at a new movie and think about puzzle pieces in terms of other movies that might have inspired it. But sometimes we'll do these episodes called Breaking It Apart or Missing Pieces, which are these little side series that deal with older movies. And then we look forward to movies that it itself might have inspired. So this is going to be kind of like a mix of all of the above there, of all that formula. And uh, just talk about some movies that we thought of while watching once bitten as as far as like some obvious ones i mean you know dracula would be the obvious thing <laughs> to go you know if any vampire movie you kind of have to go with dracula um but i was shocked that teen wolf came out the same year as mm -hmm. this um so i i'm not even sure which you know was on the radar first because it just seems such an obvious thing that one of them was inspired by one of the other like uh i'm not even sure which direction that goes uh, but th those were the two like potentially older movies that I had thought of as possible inspirations for this. I also thought of a few that um, Once Bitten may have inspired itself. I thought of Spider-Man 3 once Tobey Maguire starts getting all goth and like kind of lame fake cool, uh, <laughs> which is a very kind of 
made fun of sequence in that movie and uh kind of reminds me of how jim carrey's gothness is coming into being as the movie continues on and those nice. dream sequences and stuff like that nice. um also with jim carrey he was uh on some i don't remember if it was just one or more than one but uh on saturday night live the night at the roxbury guys he mm, was yes. uh like the third guy a couple of times and that whole opening montage sequence of the guys going out in hollywood and trying to get women and like it's it's exactly like the kind of thing that Jim Carrey was <laughs> yes, doing in that. Yes. So yeah, that was one that I thought of. Um, the combination of like teen hormones and monster movies. I thought of Jennifer Jennifer's Body, hmm. which is a very underappreciated horror comedy, mostly horror, great movie, um, which I think is uh, worth one worthwhile one to include here. And then I mentioned it earlier, but Dracula Dead and Loving It, I love. And uh, as far as like spoofing Dracula and vampire tropes um, is one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. And Sophia and I thought of, I guess, a few more like of these style. Like, I think I would add sort of Twilight in a way, because in Twilight, the historical origins, the vampires are also brought up. Um, of course, they're not wearing their original clothes, but there's mm -hmm. points in time where, where their like historical backstory comes into play, particularly in the books. So I thought that was interesting. And then these yep. movies about um, older women who need to like find some substance in order to stay young. Of course, I mean that's you know Elizabeth Bathory herself is the historical figures are an inspiration for that. But something like Stardust, um, where the Michelle Pfeiffer's witch character needs to absorb the star. And then, right. Sophia, you added another one, right? Yeah, I said Snow White and the Huntsman, where the uh, Charlize Theron character needs to submerge herself in these baths of liquid metal in order to stay young. And then she scars all the beautiful girls, in the, or they scar themselves so that she won't come after them or something. And then, you know, mm. she's got to kill Snow White because she's the most beautiful one and can't have that. I'll also add, for crying out loud, Hocus Pocus. That's their whole... Sure thing too is finding children to eat and to stay young so. yeah those are all great examples and it, it's cool to see like outside of the world of vampires to mm -hmm. see other kinds of you know mystical characters like having those traits so it, it definitely works in all of those yep. age is the most frightening thing <laughs> yes <laughs> absolutely uh. Okay, so now we're going to get to like something that we do on our show, like every episode, which is our double feature recommendations. And I'll start with my first double feature recommendation, which is The Lost Boys from 1987. Yes. And I chose this movie because this is another movie that blends vampires and some comedy, but it blends it much, much better. <laughs> it, it definitely leans more towards being a vampire movie that happens to have teens and young kids in it. But mm. the comic element is good in there. It's not cheesy. It's like it's not taking away from the threat of these vampires in the movie. And mm. it's an 80s classic. I think most people have probably seen it. But if you haven't seen The Lost Boys yet, I really recommend checking it out. I also recommend that you should order Chinese noodles while you watch it. You'll, you'll understand <laughs> later. Good recommendation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, I think I've recommended this one before, but I put down Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992. I th oh, that also has a dance scene climax moment. Uh, so I I love it. And I, I will think I'll always have a crush on Luke Perry. So I highly, I highly recommend Buffy. 
Right Very on. Uh, I'll go for my first one with Vampire's Kiss from 1988, the uh, the movie that has been memed to death because of Nicolas Cage's over-the-top performance. But uh, <laughs> yes. both of these movies are kind of exploring toxic men through the lens of a vampire movie. Uh, and both star huge stars of the 90s who are faces with big expressions and uh, who are still very popular today. And uh, it's crazy that they both, you know, some of their earliest roles were playing vampires. Like it's uh, such a, a weird uh, thing that both of their careers would take that path. Um, but yeah, I just watched it for the first time, actually, uh, a few days ago. And it is so good. Excellent. Yeah, I really want to watch that. And I wanted to have time to watch it to prepare for this, but I didn't. So I'm glad Same. to hear that it's worth checking out. Yeah. So my second double feature recommendation really has very little at all to do with this movie, but it is another movie with Lauren Hutton. And I wanted to watch another movie with Lauren Hutton because I thought this movie can't be her fault. I want to see what she can do in a good movie. So she has been in a lot of bad movies, unfortunately, it looks like. But a good movie that she's been in, I would say even a great movie, is 1980s American Gigolo, where she co-stars with Richard Gere. And it's directed by Paul Schrader. And have you guys seen this movie before I talk about it? No. I've actually never seen it. No. Yeah, I had never seen it and I'd heard it was good, but I was like, oh, it, it doesn't sound that good. But then I watched it and I was like, this movie is actually fantastic. Stylistically, it is so sharp and it doesn't seem dated, really. I mean, there's there's things that happen in the movie that seem a little dated, but like the style is on point. It's um, uses rock music very effectively. The characters are interesting, like Richard Gere plays the gigolo and Lauren Hutton plays a woman who meets him and they have this kind of interesting, complicated relationship and it's got noir aspects to it. It's got romance aspects to it. Totally recommend it. I think it would be a fantastic double feature with Pretty Woman. When we get around to covering Pretty Woman someday, that's going to be one of mine. But yeah, Excellent. seriously, American Gigolo is the best thing that I got out of watching Once Bitten. Nice. Worth it. Worth it then. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Twilight. Might as well. Teens, vampires came out in 2008. Go for it if you haven't already. That's it. <laughs> That's all you got? That's all I got. Well, it also does involve virginity because Edward is stressing about oh, losing his. Yes. Yeah, losing totally his. Totally like, forgot. I think sure. he, yeah, I think he's supposed to be a 100 year old virgin and then Bella really wants to have sex and like he's yeah. just trying to prevent her from it. So it's kind of an interesting yeah. gender reverse there, at least. Yeah. Yes. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> well, since you brought up Twilight, which we talked about already, I'll bring up Dracula Dead and Loving It, which we talked about already as well. But uh, it's from 1995. Um, most people consider it a lesser Mel Brooks, um, but I love it. And Leslie Nielsen <laughs> plays Dracula. And how can you not love yes. Leslie Nielsen? It's just a great, uh, dr like, vampire lore uh, parody movie. And there's so many great jokes in it. And, uh, yeah, I, I haven't watched it in a long time, to be honest. But uh, I'm, I'm looking to maybe rewatch it for Halloween in the next week or so. You know, I had never seen it before. I did not realize it was a Mel Brooks movie. I think I assumed it was a Zucker Brothers movie because it had Leslie Nielsen in it. Right, right. Yeah. And now I kind of want to watch it. So thanks. Thanks uh -huh. for bringing that yeah. to our attention. Right on. And then my final recommendation. Okay. This isn't quite a recommendation because this is not a good movie. Okay. But this movie is another teen sex comedy about losing your virginity. 
It's another movie that has a person who went on to become a huge star in it. It stars Tom. Well, one of the stars is Tom Cruise. And it's another movie that has a rock song, which is also the title of the movie, which is Losing It. Okay, so Losing It came out in 1983. And it just it has all the hallmarks of these teens trying to lose their virginity madcap comedies. And they're all trying to go to Tijuana and they're going to like meet prostitutes and so forth. And it, of course, it doesn't go exactly to plan. There are no vampires in sight in this movie, but like you will totally recognize the same kind of tropes, the same kind of tone, the same kind of humor that you see a lot in One Spitten. And I just think it's too perfect that they go together like this well. And you can see one of Tom Cruise's early roles. And again, you can see the movie star in Tom Cruise, even in this bad movie. So movie stars will reveal themselves in some of their early work sometimes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've always wanted to, even though I know it's not supposed to be very good. Oh, no, it's- <laughs> just because just I love Tom Cruise. I, I need yeah. to watch it one of these days. Uh, my final recommendation is Moonlight, not the film. Uh, it's a It was a one-season um, TV show from 2007, and it stars uh, Alex McLaughlin, who uh, later on, you know, he's done some rom-coms, and he was in the long-running uh, remake of... Uh, Hawaii Five O. So uh, this this vampire moonlight story. He's like a private detective in L.A. who became a vampire in the fifties, reluctantly so, like without his consent, and now he's trying to like not give in to his vampire urges. He he gets his blood sourced from freshly dead corpses and the blood in the fridge thing and there's a love story that goes on and um i was really sucked (laughs) sucked into it and um but it's fairly cheesy as well it's got you know silly rules vampire rules and whatnot and it's corny but good it's got a small cult following very cool yeah right on uh, my third one is Death Becomes Her from 1992 from Robert Zemeckis starring Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, also Bruce Willis. Um, you know, another melding of comedy and horror and very, uh, in this case, 90s, but, you know, 80s, 90s ideas of sex and beauty and uh, some problematic elements that haven't aged too well, but uh, it's still, I think, a great movie. And we actually just covered it over on Awesome Movie or another one that we covered over oh, there. Oh, cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, is um, I think holds up pretty well aside from those uh, problematic elements. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your recommendations, David. And thanks so much for coming onto our show yes. and like adding your breadth of movie and depth of movie knowledge we're glad to have you absolutely thank you so much for having me it was uh, it was a lot of fun to to talk about this one and there's a (laughs) lot of interesting angles i think we got into here Yeah, yeah thank you so much and remember to check out David's work. We've got it in the show notes, but you can certainly go over to piecingpod.com and also buydavidrosen.com to check out some of his work. Any other links you want to drop again before we head out? You know, just follow me on Twitter. I, I'm more active on my Piecing Pod Twitter than I am on my uh, music one, but I'm on both of them. Follow me there and uh, come say hi. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and. Coming up for every rom-com, we're going to have an episode on The Love Witch, written, directed, and so many other things by Anna Biller. And then we're going to take probably a little brief break before we get into our Christmas movies. So if you have any recommendations for Christmas movies you'd like to see us cover, please get those in very soon. 
And yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for joining me here today, guys. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.